the cycle of the judges begins as God raises up leaders to save his rebellious nation, a nation who seems to forget God over and over again on The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From God's Curse of the Serpent in Genesis chapter 3. A war has been raging, a war that started in the garden and has been continuing since. It's a war between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent and it will culminate in one male seed of the woman who will give a death blow to the serpent himself. Ultimately, Satan, the deceiver of mankind and the one who usurped dominion, will be vanquished by a yet future king. But before that, the war continues to rage. Throughout the Bible story, we've been given glimpse of this war. We saw that Cain, the murderer of his brother Abel, was shown to be one of these seed of the serpent. Later, we saw another example of this when Canaan, the grandson of Noah, was cursed in a subtle callback to the curse of the serpent. But sometimes we get truly great examples of the coming ultimate victory as well. A victory in which evil will be vanquished as the seed of the woman crushes the head of the serpent. And it's in the era of the judges that we get one such picture. Someone, some seed of the serpent, is going to get his head crushed. It's been about a hundred years since the death of Joshua, and the cycle of judges has been in full force. First, we see the people turn away from God. They worship the Baals, intermarry with the Canaanites, and turn away from Yahweh. Second, we see God use other nations to chasten the people of Israel. A force comes into the land to dominate the Israelites and subjugate them to labor and toil. But third, the people of Israel cry out to Yahweh to deliver them from their oppression. Until fourth, God raises up a judge to defeat the enemies of the people and save them from their bondage. The people turn away, God chastens them, the people cry, and God saves them with a judge. As the generations pass, this cycle starts over and over again, and the people rebel against God again and again. We'll get used to this cycle in the book of Judges, and in the first hundred years after Joshua, we go through three of them. In the midst of Israel's rebellion against God and the generation after Joshua, we see the first cycle. First, Israel becomes dominated by a king called Cushan Rishathaim. And this king oppresses the people of Israel for eight years before God raises up a judge named Othniel. We hear of Othniel that, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest for forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Israel experienced rest in the land after Othniel delivered them from Cushan Rishathaim, a rest like after the initial conquest of Canaan. But just as it was short-lived in Joshua's day, so this rest would be short-lived in Othniel's day, too. The people rebel again. We read this in Judges chapter 3, verse 12. 
And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because Israel had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eighteen years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Girah, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. After the people turn away from the Lord, we see another cycle of oppression by an enemy, the people crying out to Yahweh, and Yahweh raising up another deliverer to save his people. This time the enemy is Eglon, and the judge is Ehud. Ehud ends up saving the people through subterfuge rather than immediately on the battlefield. We learn that in those days, Israel was having to pay tribute to Eglon the king, and Ehud uses this pretext as a means to get close to the king, close enough to cut. Ehud tells the enemy king Eglon that he has a secret message for him, and when given a private audience with the king, Ehud fatally stabs him before mustering the nearby men of Israel to fight and defeat the Moabite army. In Ehud's day, after the defeat of the Moabites, we learn that the land had rest for 80 years, while another judge defeated the Philistines in a different area of the land of Canaan. But after the 80 years of rest, the cycle continues. And for this third cycle, we're going to slow down a bit, because it's in this cycle that we see an enemy end up with a crushed head. We read this in Judges, chapter 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years. Okay. So the enemies in this cycle are Jabin, king of Canaan, and the commander of his army, Sisera. They have 900 chariots of iron, and they are cruelly oppressing the nation of Israel. Now what we might expect is for God to raise up a man to defeat these enemies like the previous cycles, like Joshua, like Moses. But the cycle here has some unique qualities to it, because in this cycle, a woman is decisive in the defeat of Israel's enemy. At this point, Israel is in a bad state. Apparently, people were hiding away from villages and wouldn't even take common travel and trade routes for fear of these Canaanites. The land that they had spent years conquering under Joshua was lost to these Canaanites who were oppressing them severely. It's in this context that we read this from Judges chapter 4, verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, was judging Israel at the time. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten thousand of the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and troops, and I will give him into your hand. Deborah, a prophetess, summons another leader in Israel named Barak and essentially asks him a question, revealing a potential disobedience on Barak's part. She implies that Yahweh has commanded Barak to go to battle against these Canaanites, but Barak hasn't done it for some reason. And we find out that the reason is fear. Barak is afraid to go, 
without Deborah with him. We're perhaps getting a subtle clue in the narrative that the reason God is using Deborah in this capacity is because all the men have shrunk away from leadership and fear the Canaanites. Here's Barak's reply. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And ten thousand men went up at his heels, and Deborah went with him. Deborah agrees to accompany Barak to the battlefield. But note what else she says in her response. She basically says, Barak, you think you may be headed to glory for yourself in this defeat of the Canaanites that God will bring about. But it won't be you who will get the glory for this. It will be a woman. At this point in the story, it looks like Deborah may be the one who gets glory in this battle to come. She may be the one who defeats the enemy commander, Sisera. Now, before this great battle of thousands, where oppressed Israel fights the chariots of the Canaanites, we come to a verse that perhaps seems out of place. But we can't miss it because it unlocks the story. We read in verse 11 that, Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent near Kedesh. On its face, this little comment may seem random in the text. But here's what you should keep in mind. A distant relative of Moses by marriage is dwelling around the area where this battle is going to take place. Okay, now on to the battle. Sisera soon hears of Barak going to an area by a large valley, and he sees opportunity to further subjugate these Israelites. Valleys are the ideal place for chariots to demonstrate their power, and Sisera positions his forces such that the battle itself will occur in the valley rather than on a surrounding mountain. By all reason, Sisera should easily defeat these 10,000 foot soldiers with his 900 iron chariots. But let's see what happens. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Ebenoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron and all the men who were with him, from Harasheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. This could easily be a story from the Exodus and in some ways echoes what God had done at the Sea of Reeds. Remember when Pharaoh had sent his chariots into the sea to follow the Israelites? Their wheels got clogged and had trouble functioning properly before they were swept away completely by the sea when it returned to its place. The Lord had fought for Israel in the Exodus, and there are indications in the text here that he did something similar. We find out later in a song sung by Deborah and Barak that God caused the river of that valley to suddenly overflow washing away many of the chariots of Sisera, a force that was completely decimated down to every man by the end of the battle. The powerful charioteers had been defeated by the Lord, but there was one man who got away. Next we read this. But Sisera fled away on foot 
to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the Canaanite king and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say, No. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So Sisera died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with the tent peg in his temple. It seems that family ties take precedence over political alliances. Jael, a distant relative of Moses, sees an opportunity to defeat the commander of these Canaanite forces, and she launches a deception. She invites the passing Sisera to come into her tent to hide from his pursuers. But as soon as he's sleeping from exhaustion, she takes action. She takes a tent peg and drives it into his head, killing him instantly. Just as Deborah had said, that day Sisera was defeated by the hand of a woman. And soon the Israelites defeat Jabin too, that Canaanite king. The Lord had saved them from the oppression of the Canaanites, and they were able to have rest for 40 years. Rest not only because of Deborah and Barak, but because of the faithful woman, Jael, the non-Israelite who fought for Israel when she had the chance, the woman who gave further preview of that ultimate defeat of the serpent. Just as she crushed the head of Sisera, so in the future would the promised seed of the woman crush the head of Satan himself. The long-term war still rages in the Bible, but it's a war with hints at its ultimate conclusion. Join us next time as we see the next major judge. In the midst of Baal worship in the land, a man rises to contend with this false god. Will Baal stand a chance? The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023